Good morning. That's all right. You guys know. <laughs> the sun's out. First service they had, you know, it came in. It was a little gloomy. I gave them a little break. But, you know, you guys, it's it's 11 o'clock. It's summer. So uh, so are you guys ready for summer? Anyone here? Yeah, a few people are. Yeah, the, the students are all ready for summer. We have a college students here. Yeah, it's so I always loved summer growing up. And but for me, I was always um, shipped off to a farm in Minnesota where a family farm where I got to work all summer because my parents loved me. They wanted us to be away from them. And so but I remember one of the things that summer, I, my cousin and I would work there were junior hires and we worked like 12 hour days out in the fields and, and you know, on a tractor, which is not really all that hard. But um, and, and lifting hay bales and stuff. But it was always good because he kind of got in good shape. And then also. You know, as a, a junior higher high school, we loved it because, and this was Minnesota too, up there in Minnesota. Anyone from Minnesota here or the Midwest? Yeah, so in um, Minnesota, people like over tan themselves, right? Because they're in the snow for eight months and then they're like, oh, we want to get super tan. But so I used to love sitting on that tractor for like 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day and just be golden brown. You know, we'd pull our shorts up so we had a little speedo line and... Um, <laughs> And, and, and totally nice golden tan on the front half of our body, you know, and you get up and you're all white in the back, but that's all right. <laughs> but I also just loved, you know, because summer was all about getting that kind of summer body. And I know we're in California, so it's a little different, right? We always, it's, it's beach time all year round. But I know some of you are like, summer's coming, so I better get into shape, right? So like two weeks ago, some of you started doing sit-ups and push-ups. Like, I'll be ready for the beach in two weeks. <laughs> but... That's kind of the idea of summer. Sometimes we think, yeah, let's get into shape. So um, I was thinking this year I actually started uh, doing something, and I don't know why yet. I think I need to get checked out. But um, there's, there's two people that kind of helped me get into this thing that I really don't like them. And one of them, you'll know the names. One is, his name is Tony Horton. And if you know him, uh, he's the founder of P90X. So if you've seen it, so some of you watch this like at midnight when you're flipping through channels. You'll watch P90X for like a half hour, right? Like, oh, that looks good. Um, yeah, so it's this workout program, this 90-day workout program that you have to do the rest of your life to stay in shape. But And then the, the other guy is Sean T, and he's a creator of another one called Insanity. And, and so he worked with Satan on creating a program for people. And, 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 and so these two things, I like to flip back and forth between them. I do Insanity on cardio days and then P90 on the lifting days. So... And I know, I don't know why, I'm sure I'll get over it, don't worry. But as I was thinking about that, you have this idea of, of, you know, working out. One of the things I don't like about these guys is because they know what it takes to actually get into shape. And they know that they have to kind of keep pushing you a little bit. And and so, you know, I'll pop in the DVD and, and get working out, and they're like, come on, just keep going a little bit more. Come on, Ryan. And they don't always use my name. But, um, you know, just... You get pushed through a little harder, a little farther. Keep going. And, and the thing is, they say, if you want change, you got to keep it up. you got to keep it up. And for me, it's like, if it was my program, it's just like, I'll do a few. I'm like, I'm good. I'll sit on the couch and watch the rest of this. And hopefully that'll work out. But the thing I don't like about them is because I look at them, I think, man, they're in great shape. Like, what they are telling me works, obviously works. But you got to keep going. And one of the things about that is this idea that you have to keep pushing. You actually some days are going to hurt a little if you want change. The first time I did P90X, the very first day, I don't know why they do it this way. It's 
back and chest. So you do unlimited push-ups, as many as you can do. And then you alternate that with as many different pull-ups as you can do. And then you do that 24 different sets. Yeah. After that hour of... It's an hour. After that, then they have an ab ripper thing that you're supposed to do on those days and 15 minutes of like working muscles that some of us don't even know are in there. And and I remember the first day I did that, I was actually managing at Starbucks at the time. And the next day, I was literally walking like this. And all my like 20-year-old partners who worked for me are like, what's wrong with the old man? I'm like, nothing. I was just doing sit-ups. So in like two days, I was hunched over because my muscles just went, are you kidding me? But I think of that, and the truth is, sometimes that pain is what makes results. And if you don't have that pain when you're trying to work out your body, then usually you're just going to be kind of coasting, which is fine sometimes. (laughs) I'm all for that. But sometimes you have to push through. I I feel the same on insanity. I remember the first time I was doing it, and and sometimes you just quit, right? So I'm working hard, just dripping with sweat. And he's like, okay, the five-minute workout or warm-up is over. Let's keep going. I'm like, oh. But he says, keep going, keep going if you want change. So today, obviously, we're talking a little bit about change. And and we have this visual here. And um, Aaron Smith is going to be lifting it while we talk. Oh, no. okay. (laughs) The visual here of of working out is one of those things that we know if you want change physically, you have to go for. But we're not talking about physical change this morning. We're talking about spiritual lives. In the middle of a series called Everyone Hurts. And the truth is, what we're talking about today is the fact that when we go through things in life, the pains, the struggles, the trials, that in the end, that there can be change. And the change can be a positive thing. Now, I will say there is a difference between when you go after physical change in your life and spiritual. Is This we want to seek after, right? I, I want to seek after changing physically, so I'll do something. And so I'll and purposely have physical pain. We never want to seek after spiritual pain, okay? There's a difference. If you say, oh, I want to go through trials, like, no, seriously, you don't want to. (laughs) But the reality is we will, because life happens. And we talked about the last couple weeks, when we set up the series, we talked about the fact is we live in a fallen world, and even nature itself, therefore pain is increased. We live in a fallen world with fallen people, so sometimes people do some really awful things. That cause us pain and help us go, or cause us to go through trials. Sometimes our own decisions cause trials because we make poor choices. And we don't want to seek after trials and we don't want to seek after hurt and pain spiritually. But because we all will go through it, the question for us this morning is how can we actually grow through those situations? So that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look in the book of James, and we're going to pick it up in James chapter 1. But before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the joys of summer, for the changing seasons. God, in a room like this, I can imagine there are many who are going through some incredible hurt and some incredible trials. And Lord, today we don't minimize those, but we want to find you in the midst of these things of life and to be changed by you, God. And so help us to be aware of your presence and ultimately let us and our church be all about you and making you known more in our lives and the lives of others. We give you this time now, God, and ask that you would speak to us and through me. In your name, amen. 
All right, so we're going to look in the book of James. It's in your New Testament, kind of towards the back. Now, the book of James, anytime we pick up a, bi- a, a, a book in the Bible, we want to ask ourselves a few things. We do this almost every week, so, but just to, to be familiar, we want to say, okay, what kind of book is this? Is it a story telling us about a narrative or something that's happening? Or in this case, it's a letter. And letters, when they're written in Scripture, are almost always instructive. So it's a letter written by somebody, and it's to bring specific instructions. We also want to ask ourselves, who wrote this letter? And often in the uh, New Testament, you either have the author's name as the name of the book, or the people they write to. That's helpful, right? So we know James, some guy named James wrote this letter. Let me take a little time out and do a nerdy side note. If you don't like nerdy side notes, just sit there and ignore the next one sentence. But um, it's actually written, his, his name in Greek and Hebrew is actually Jacob. For some reason in English, uh, under the authority of King James, they decided to use James. I don't know why. Okay, nerdy side note over. Back. Okay, so we're calling him James. But so James wrote this. Now, which James? We find that it's most likely James, the brother of Jesus, the half brother, younger brother. You can figure that out. So James, brother of Jesus, wrote this letter. Now, at the time of writing it, we believe that James was the head over what we call the, the church in Jerusalem. James had quite a bit of authority, apparently, and, and he even was a later convert. He you know, grew up with Jesus and, and didn't buy into the fact that he was Messiah right away. But we know that later on he did. And so J- James is mentioned in Acts chapter 15, in Acts 21. Paul mentions him in Galatians 1 and in Galatians 2. And in all the cases, we find that James has a significant amount of authority in the church, in the church in Jerusalem and over Christianity. And and James was known as one who was really committed to the Hebrew scriptures or to the Old Testament. At the time, that's the only scriptures they had. He's deeply committed. He came from a family that was deeply religious. We know the family of Jesus stuck to the law as much as they could. They went on pilgrimages to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. We know that his cousin, John the Baptist of the Baptist family, um, they uh, they were a, a priest. Thank you. That's good. About half of you got that. That's amazing. Um, we know that they were a priestly family, so they were connected to the priesthood. So this is a very religious family. So committed to the law was an important thing. So James knew scriptures. He seemed to be very concerned about understanding them and then letting them affect and play out in his life and in the lives of others. In fact, through the writing of James, we find that he likely was or he was very focused and, and, and concerned about understanding who God is, according to scripture, and then understanding how that plays out in practical terms. That whole idea of faith in deeds was something that was Significant for James. And it's tied to his commitment to the scriptures. Now, so we know a little bit about James. Now we need to know who's he writing to. We find in in verse 1, he says that he's writing to the brothers who are dispersed, or to the 12 tribes dispersed. Now, that's referring to Jews and most likely Jewish followers of Jesus. Now, at the time of his writing, most of the followers of Jesus were Jews. Christianity originally was a, a, a branch of Judaism. And probably also indicates an earlier writing. And so he's writing to Christians who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. Why is that significant? We need to ask the next question. What was their world like? What was it like to be a Jewish follower of Jesus in the Roman Empire in that mid-first century? 
Well, we know that under the Roman Empire, you have you, you were in a world that actually was OK with religion. They were, had a lot of religious tolerance. Yet they didn't quite get monotheism. They didn't get the fact that you say there's only one God. They didn't get the fact that you say, no, if Jesus is Lord, Caesar can't be Lord. And if Jesus is the creator and the God of the world, then there can't be a, a creator and all these other gods and temples. They don't exist. We can't worship other gods. So in the Roman Empire, if you were to be monotheistic, although they were tolerant of religions, they didn't get that. And so there was persecution. At the time of his writing, maybe they weren't quite to the point of persecution unto death yet, but we know soon they were. And James was martyred, according to history, in the year 62, killed for his faith in Jerusalem. So they started feeling a little religious persecution, but definitely they felt a socioeconomical persecution under the Roman Empire that those who had a lot of money were able to succeed more. And those, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's kind of the same today. But even the practices and the business practices favored if you had money, you could get ahead. You could have more bribes. If you were poor, you were pushed further and further down. That's why one of the things we find in Scripture often is tax collectors in the New Testament are often equated with sinners, right? And, and we do that. IRS is the same today. But so but these tax collectors, the, the reason that they were so hated in, in lumped in with sinners was the fact that the only way they could survive financially is first they had to collect taxes for the Roman government, but then they had to collect taxes, any wage they determined for themselves. So they lived off of whatever they were able to tax out of you. So you can see why they were hated so much. They would say, in order for me to survive, I'm going to take more from you. And that's how we modeled our Congress today. So... Sorry, had to go there. All right. But so that's why they were so hated. But also the reason was it was totally unethical. We have some historians actually report that in Palestine, a a peasant fisherman often would be taxed up to 90 percent of their wages. Ninety percent. You catch 10 fish for the day after Rome gets theirs and the tax collector get theirs. You get one fish left to go home with. So you can see why. You you look at it and say, wait, there's a lot of persecution here. It happened with land the same way. Now, what happened is it started creeping into the churches and into the synagogues and into the temples to where those who had a lot were treated better than those who had less. And so Christ, Jesus said that there in Christ that there is no rich or poor, there's no male or female, there's no Greek or, or Jew, that there's equality in Christ because he is our creator and lover of all. But. In the church, they were finding that there was mistreatment. They were giving preferential treatment to those with more. And if they didn't do that, they could face even more persecution. So that was kind of the world that they were living in. And that's the world in which James, to which James was writing. So James is definitely concerned about proper beliefs about who God is, but proper behaviors because it's in a world where people were confused about the ethics of how to truly live. And they would suffer for living according to the law. Okay? Tracking with me so far? All right. So we need to answer. We have to understand those things in that context before you can understand why he writes the way he writes. Some people say James seems like a scattered book if you've ever written it, read it. He has one instruction followed by another, followed by another, and it seems all scattered. 
But James is really very much intentional in how he writes. In fact, his level of Greek is mastery, the way he writes. He uses a play on word to transition from one thought to the other. It's one consistent thought of this is how we believe, this is what faith is, and this is how we live. So that's how he writes. So let's get into the text here in James chapter 1. Picking up, we'll pick up in verse 2. James writes this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James begins with this idea of saying, Consider it all joy when you face trials. Now, when we hear that, we think, Oh, that sounds really godly. Yeah, that's great. But I don't know about you, but how many trials do you face? You go like, this is great. Oh, I love being a follower of Jesus and having trials. Right. And that's not really what he's saying. Although this is a command. And, and he is saying the command is to find joy when you face trials. Notice he doesn't say find find your trials to be joyful or find joy in the fact that you're having trials. No, it's in the midst of them. In other words, he's acknowledging you're going to go through challenging things in life. You're going to face challenges. You're going to face trials. In the midst of those, find joy. And it's a command. He says you've got to seek after this and find the joy in it. So we're going to look at that today and say, how in the world do we do that? How do we do that? And how did they do that? When they looked at their trials. Now, in this room, there's a lot of people. We have different trials, right? We all have. There's some of you have faced some very difficult things and are currently facing difficult things. Some of you, maybe you've gone through cancer and faced death, breakup in relationships, difficult financial times. We go through all of these things. But even some of you say, well, I'm not going through any of those. My trials don't matter. Your trials matter. What's a challenge for you today is your challenge. That is your trial. It's okay. If it's your struggle, maybe you say, well, it's not big enough to really put it on that. But maybe it is. Now, there's probably a few things that aren't trials. Paige sent me a clip. We were going to show it, but we didn't today. But kind of things people think are trials is kind of our first world issues. You know, things like, I am so tired. I got way too much sleep last night. (laughs) Maybe you hear that. Um, There's another one. It said, my hair smells like Starbucks. That is the worst. You know, it's like some of our trials we think are actually trials. Maybe aren't. So the other one is, is I can't find anything to eat. We have way too much food in the refrigerator. So, you know, I can't decide what to eat. So those probably aren't trials. So if you say those are yours, find some new ones. But um, in life, we'll give you some. Trust me. But your trials do matter. The things that are real that you're going through. And so how do we find joy in that? Or what really are trials? What defines it? So we want to look at that. What are trials according to James? First one is this. Trials are things that test our beliefs. Things that test what we believe about God. When my family lived in Israel, we moved back. And when we moved back to the United States, we we were part of a church plant. And one of the commitments or convictions we had as a church is we decided that 25% of all of our income, we take the first fruits of that and give it outside our doors. So it didn't go to any staff. It couldn't pay for any bills. It, it was outside of us to take care of the poor and, and, and whoever who needed it. 25%. We believe that God is able to supply everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything we need. 
We believe that. That's our conviction. But that 25% out of the first fruits was a little difficult at times. There were months, certainly, when my paycheck was significantly less. And people around me would say, well, you should just take from this outward focus. Fine. And then you have enough. And say, but that's, we believe that God will provide. See, the trial we were going through then was testing our belief. Do we believe that God is in control? Do we believe that he is able to supply? If we are still generous, can God still take care of what we need? The belief was being tested and challenged. Some of you maybe face the challenge of you say, well, I believe that, that God's a God of forgiveness and that God gives second chances. But you have a really hard time giving other people second chances. Or you have a really hard time forgiving others. Or maybe you have a hard time believing that you can be forgiven. Or believing that God still reaches out to you. Your belief is tested in the midst of your situation. What do you believe about God? Another type of trial that we find in Scripture, and according to James, is this. A trial that tests our behaviors. Trials can test our behaviors. Or situations that test our behaviors. Think of this of business ethics. Maybe you work for someone who comes in and says, hey, I need you to do something off the books. I need you to, to modify some of your numbers or figures. I need to do, you to do something that maybe isn't totally ethical, but we need to do it for the business. And you're faced with a dilemma. You believe that your behavior according to God is you do all things unto the Lord. And you want to live according to the ways modeled by Jesus. But now you're faced with the dilemma of how can I follow Jesus yet be a good business person? Your situation becomes a trial that's actually testing behaviors. The same, again, follows certainly in the fact of forgiveness. Can you offer forgiveness? Do people around you test you in that? Now, in America, we don't often face the test or the trials because of our faith, but it certainly can happen. And in the world of when James is writing, and then certainly when Peter writes soon after James, he writes this. Look in First chapter 4. We have it on the screen for you. First Peter chapter 4, he says this. Beloved, again, talking about brothers, those who are brothers and sisters following Christ. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree which you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. He says, hey, don't be surprised when you face in this case, he's talking specifically because of what you believe. He's saying face tests on your behavior and on your beliefs as a follower of Christ. Peter wrote that. We maybe aren't quite there in our culture today, but there are little things that do test what we believe, aren't there? And things that test, if I'm going to follow Christ, are my behaviors often tested? Peter would say, don't be surprised. It's coming. It's coming. Don't be surprised when you face those, but rejoice in them because it will come. So when James writes, though, now he's saying these are the type of trials, things that situations that test your beliefs, situations that test your behaviors. But how are you going to respond? How will we respond to the, these tests that come? If we look at this, look in verse three as it continues on, he says this consider it joy. OK. You've told me, now we're convinced we're supposed to consider it joy, but now let's start to look at, why should we do that? He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance will have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So to understand this, let's look at this for a little bit here. Testing in this one is a very rare word that's used. It's used a couple times in scripture, not often in antiquity. But this word to test is the word that's used also for when you um, heat up precious metals to the point where you can remove all the impurities. It's an extreme kind of heating up so that all the impurities will bubble and rise to the surface of this precious metal, and then you skim them off the top. So the type of testing he's referring to is a testing that's actually exposing the impurities or your impure or imperfect beliefs about God, your imperfect and impure behaviors or misunderstandings, and they rise to the top. They're exposed. It says, be, rejoice when you're tested in this way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, it says this, 6 through 7. It says, in this you can greatly, greatly rejoice. They have the same idea, don't they? Rejoice even that now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith that is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by the exact same word. That James uses tested by the fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you are tested and heated up and those impurities and imperfect thoughts and views about God are exposed, you can rejoice because it's a process of removing those from your life. It's a process of exposing those. Now, if you're like me, you're still saying, I still don't really want to rejoice in trials. I'm still not saying, oh, that's great. Yeah, remove the imperfections. Because sometimes you just say, I think I'd rather just go through my life loving Jesus, but not really having to go through too much. And then at the end, I'll be like, I'm good. That was fine. Right? I mean, some of us think, I don't really need to be that much test. I don't need to be purified. I mean, I'm good the way this is. I don't want to go through the pain. I feel that way sometimes in working out. Like, you know, this is good enough. I mean, I'm already pretty huge. So, I mean, uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, really, you've been working out? (laughs) My wife asked me that the other day, like, I thought you've been working out. Um, Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, sometimes I think, ah, no, I don't really want the results. If what it takes is some pain, I'd rather not have it. So why can we find joy? Why can we find joy in this? Look at verse, back to James chapter 1, when he says this. Because a testing your faith produce, testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance. Let's look at that word for a moment. This word is hiponome in Greek. Hipomone. You guys want to say that with me? Hupomone. Yeah, that you guys sound amazing. All right, yeah, hupomone. And um, so this word is not. Some of your Bibles translate it steadfastness. Some it's endurance. Some of them is patience. I don't like the word patience there. I don't think it's adequate. This is actually an active word, and it's a word that actually is used for someone who faces a battle. So it's a battlefield word, and saying instead of when you're in the face of conflict in a battle, you can either run and flee, or you can stand your ground. If you stand your ground, that's hupaname. That's learning to stand your ground in the face of opposition. Is what this word means. So he's saying when you go through, when your faith is tested, you develop this ability to stand your ground in the face of opposition instead of fleeing. The best way I can think of it is this way. Uh, 
We're in Encinitas, and Encinitas is kind of about a couple things, right? It's about food and surfing, right? We have all the restaurants. There's a movie out, actually, that mentions Encinitas, and it says, oh, yeah, all we do here is it's food and surfing, which is kind of true, right? Now, I am not a surfer by any means. I like to surf. I go pretty uh, quite often, but I'm not a surfer. But surfing teaches me a little bit about this word, hupomane. I didn't even pronounce it right that time. But this idea of standing my ground instead of fleeing, when you learn to surf, kind of one of the first times you see a really big wave coming towards you and you know it's going to land on you, that's kind of a frightening thought, right? And anyone who can relate, and those of you who can't relate, you probably don't surf because of that, right? So you're paddling out and you see this wave come up and it's about to come on you. And when you're first learning, you're not even strong enough to get through it. You just take your beating. You kind of hang on and it throws you and you go underwater. And and now you, after you surf for a while, you learn just relax when you're pummeled and you're underwater. Right. And so those who surf, you know, just relax. You'll come up. Those who don't surf, you're like kidding me. Relax. <laughs> no way. But you start to learn that. But first you see that big wave. And the first one that just destroys you, you think, no, I'm good. Not going back out. I'll wait till a smaller day. But the more and more you go out there and say, OK, I'm going to I'm going to fight through. I'm going to go after this big wave. And you go, and for me, a big wave, trust me, it's not like big wave, it's just big to me. So, but you go after the big wave, and you survive it, you find the ride, and you go, wait a minute, that was kind of fun. And what's happening is you learn, next time I see that wave, I understand that it's probably not going to kill me. That I can probably enjoy that wave. I'm building up this idea of hupamane, this idea that next time I'm not going to flee, I can stand my ground because I know how it's going to work out. I learned that, no, this is probably not as bad as it looks. And even if it is as it looks, I'm learning how to get through the situation. That's the word that's being used here by James. When he says it produces in you endurance when you stand and go through trials, it's saying you're learning how to stand your ground and face that opposition. So next time you see it, you say, oh, I've seen this before. I've learned that God is able to come through just like last time. So how do we find joy in trials or what do trials give to us? There's uh, a couple of thoughts for you here. Why do we find joy in trials? Trials, number one, they confirm Or how do they make us complete? One, they confirm what we believe. See, James, again, is about beliefs and behaviors, right? So just like trials test our beliefs, they confirm our beliefs. You believe that God is in control and you go through something where you say, this seems incredibly out of control. But eventually, looking back, you say, I see how God you carried me through. Unfortunately, I have a lot of friends and examples of people who used to follow Christ and say, he wasn't there when I went through a tough time. And so they don't follow God anymore. And I always wonder who ran, did you or did God? But they didn't stand their ground and learn that, you know what, God shows up. And sometimes he doesn't show up the way we want him to. I give that. I give you that. I understand it. Sometimes you don't go, oh, good, you came through and everything is perfect again. It doesn't always work that way. But maybe you learn that even though everything's not perfect again, God, you're still faithful and you still love me. You're still there, and there's something bigger I can live for. Maybe that's what we learn. The pain doesn't always go away. But the trials will confirm our beliefs. Just as much as they're tested, they confirm it. And the trials also, number two, you can probably figure this out, they shape our behaviors. We learn how to respond when we go through the trials 
Sometimes we learn how to respond by messing it up, right? We do it the wrong way and we look back and say, I guess that didn't do me any good. But sometimes our behaviors are shaped because the way God, we see, okay, you've got this. I think of, I used to uh, travel quite a bit, uh, doing a lot of missions work at our last church. And once kids come along, you know, flying without your kids sometimes does funny things to your head, right? It's like when you fly with your kids, for me, if I'm with my wife and my kids, I'm flying like whatever. Whatever happens, it doesn't matter. If we go down, we all go down. Way to go. But when they're not with me, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I it can't go down because they, they, you know, they need me. And I do believe that. But at the same time, like I get I would get irrational about it, thinking like, no, God, you, you know, in case you're not watching, God, I'm on the plane. <laughs> and, you know, my kids, in case you didn't notice, they're not with me. So you need to get me home. But it used to become like this irrational thought every time I flew. And when just my wife and I fly without our kids, however much we absolutely love that means we're on vacation without them, um, you still, like, in the air, you get these irrational thoughts. And it's one of those things you think, well, Ryan, that's not a trial. You know what? What it does to your mind, it tests you. It tests, what do I really believe about God? Do I believe he's in control and he, he notices the situation? Do I believe that even if the plane goes down, he still knew what was going to happen, and he's got it figured out. Some of you are looking at me like, you're crazy, Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. But it's so freeing to get to the point in life where you say, God, I know, I trust you, you're in control. Even if it doesn't go the way I think you should do this, you've got it figured out. My behaviors can be shaped and tested as you go through those even smaller types of trials. I want to end by sharing a story of these a couple guys in scripture that went through some trials. It's in Daniel chapter 3. And it's in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 3, there's these guys named Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I have three boys, and I, I was talking about names with my wife. And I'm like, hey, what about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? And uh, she said, I don't get a vote. But anyway, um, so you have these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And, and they're... they're living in exile in the Assyrian Empire under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they're followers of God, and they believe there's only one God, and you never bow your, your knee to another idol. And King Nebuchadnezzar set up this thing, this big idol, and says, you need to bow to it, and anyone who does not worship this idol and worship me, you will be thrown into a furnace and burned. That's called testing by fire, right? <laughs> That's a real test. So the story goes on, and I love their response here in verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar looked at him and said, so what are you going to do? You either bow or I throw you in the fire. And this is how they respond. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. I love that. It sounds a little condescending, but we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you that we are not going to serve you or your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is a picture of a real trial. (laughs) And I love their response. We believe God is able to save us. Their belief is being tested. And notice what they said. Even if he doesn't, it's not going to change anything. You know, some of us are going through trials and we say, God, I believe you can rescue us. You can change the situation. 
Can you get to the point where you say, even if you don't, I will still serve you? That's the challenge. That shapes our belief. That tests us and brings the impurities to the surface. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we end our time. We're going to have a few songs to respond here in music and in worship. And as we respond, I want you just to consider your own life. What are the tests and the trials that you're going through right now? Maybe they're very big and severe and you look at it and you think, I don't know what is going to come of this. Maybe for you, it's you think they're smaller, but they're still big for you. And you look and maybe it's a, a son or a daughter who's gone astray and you think, oh, this is so heart, disheartening. Maybe you're estranged from your parents. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you are facing health issues. Maybe you lost a job. Your beliefs are being tested. Your responses, your behaviors are being put on trial. How do we respond? As we end here in this time, I'm going to ask you all once the music starts is just to bow your heads. Maybe even you this morning could be so bold as to, to kneel right where you are if, if you can. And just say, God, speak to me. Let this be a time in this place where we just say, God, wherever we are at, we want you to meet us here. Because here at Seacoast, we believe that God walks with us. We believe that he is present. We know that sometimes it's hard to recognize that or to feel. Maybe some of you in here are saying, I'm not even a follower of Christ. My life is tough. And maybe this morning, God's speaking to you and saying, will you surrender your trial to me? Will you open your eyes and recognize that I am moving? So what I want us to do is we're going to start with our eyes closed. And, and even if you would be so bold to, to kneel, that would be great. And we'll kneel. And, and as the music starts, just let the words speak to you. Maybe you need to look up on the screen if you know the song. It's a new one for us here. Look at the words, listen to the words, let it speak to you. And when you want to, and when you're ready to join in and worship, just join us. For some of you, it might be you're going to spend the rest of this time in silent prayer, saying, God, speak to me. God, teach me. God, challenge me. Help me through this situation. But whatever it is, let's be aware of the presence of God. And let's recognize that he is reaching out to us. And he's walking with us through these trials. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts right now. I pray that if there are those in this room and in this place right now, Jesus, who who are struggling to even believe, they're just barely holding on, that right now you'd reach out and grab their hands. And God, maybe there's those who've been through the trials you strengthen them and use them to help us walk. Lord, as you teach us, as you help us grow, I pray that you would give us this wisdom and the courage to continue on, to show us what you're doing and how you're changing us. God, would you meet us in this place right now as we continue our time? Meet us here, Lord.
And however you need to respond, just respond for the next couple songs.